Well, it's good to be back in this location, and by that I mean this very location right, right here. I'm usually there in the third row. Uh, retirement has caused me to reflect on how quickly I went from the man who, knows, who needs no introduction to, who is that old guy, you know, the one I mean that... It's been uh, 1,477 days since I last preached uh, here, but as uh, my good friend and chief cynic, Mike Shirley, reminded me, who's counting, John? <laughs> there have been some uh, changes at NOVA in, in that time, uh, physical changes in the worship center. We have that big fan there hanging over your head, which is a welcome addition. Um, adding immeasurably to our comfort as, as we listen and probably as we preach, too. And uh, in the back, there is a clock with uh, numerals at least a foot high, <laughs> red numerals. What you don't know about that clock is that uh, there is an upgrade available that um, features a countdown of the minutes allotted for the sermon. And when that reaches zero, there is a uh, mechanism in the platform, a trapdoor actually, <laughs> that um, drops the preacher through the trapdoor. Uh, I'm glad that Pastor Dean did not spring for that particular <laughs> upgrade to, to that clock back there. Well, God's word for us today is the entire book of Philemon. And if that uh, shocks you or bothers you, uh, let me assure you that it's a very short book, the shortest of Paul's letters in the New Testament, only 25 verses, and most of those verses have, have uh, very few words in them. So I'm going to read the entire text to you this morning. Let us give our reverent attention to this God's holy word for us today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, 
But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God add his blessing to this, his holy word. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This little letter, the shortest of the books of the New Testament, reveals the amazing difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes in human life. The three main characters are the Apostle Paul, a slave owner named Philemon, and a runaway slave named Onesimus. And each one's part in the story reveals that coming to know Jesus Christ changes things in a radical way. It is not a matter of minor adjustments that the Holy Spirit uses to tune up your life. But coming to know Jesus entails a major overhaul in how you see things and in how you act. This letter to Philemon is the most personal of all of the letters in the New Testament. The church that meets in Philemon's house is included in the address, but it's primarily here correspondence, personal correspondence, between the apostle and the slave owner. It's a note from a friend to a friend. And the issue is a personal favor that Paul asks. Its content is not the explanation of some grand Christian doctrine. 
It's not the correction of some great error in the church like some of the other New Testament letters of Paul are, but rather this letter has as its main topic a personal matter. What is at the core of the letter is the impact that the good news has in life, the difference that the gospel made in Paul's life and how it changed Onesimus, and how that same gospel might change Philemon. The backstory, as they say in Hollywood, is this. In about 63 AD, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He has appealed to Caesar, and he is now awaiting trial before the emperor. And while he is there, we don't know how, he encounters Onesimus, who is a fugitive slave from Colossae, a city a thousand miles away over to the east in Asia Minor. Onesimus has come to Rome and has become a Christian. We don't know whether he became a Christian in Rome or back in Colossae. Onesimus was a common name for slaves in those days. Onesimus means useful in Koine Greek. And Onesimus had proved useful to Paul during his Roman imprisonment. So much so that Paul has come to rely on him and value him very highly. He calls him at one point in this letter, my son Onesimus, a reference to that very close relationship between these two, one an apostle of Jesus Christ and the other a runaway slave. Think about it for a moment. Paul writes to Philemon to smooth the way for Onesimus and his return to Colossae, back to the household of Philemon. And he asks Philemon to receive his slave back. And this short letter gives us some insight into Roman life of the first century. It also helps us penetrate the heart and mind of Paul. One of the foundations of the Roman Empire was slavery. You may not know that two-thirds of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. They were owned by somebody else. They had no rights or legal standing. They were the property of another who could do as he pleased. The penalties for running away were severe, and they included branding and maiming and flogging and disfiguring and even death. All of that was sanctioned by the civil authorities who recognized the absolute dependence of the empire upon slavery and, and feared slave revolt. The laws were clear. Slaves were property. And they must be returned to their owners to face the consequences. Helping a fugitive slave carried serious penalties. Yet Paul moves against the current of his day. And he dares to suggest to Philemon a new way of looking at his slave Onesimus. So it's no small thing that is happening here. Paul is pleading for Onesimus' restoration, perhaps in a sense even pleading for Onesimus' life. And he does it on the basis of the gospel, the good news that Jesus makes in life. 
And if there's a lesson to be learned from this that is major, it is this. Jesus changes things. Jesus changes people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I can't emphasize too strongly what Paul is doing here and how it goes against the prevailing practices of the day. This just, is, just isn't done. I marvel at the courage of those who sail little boats on the big ocean. Now, speed boats with motors, I understand. But boats with sails and those who operate them remain a wonder to me. I used to sail a tiny little boat on the lakes of Minnesota. It was 12 feet long, very shallow, had a drop-down keel made out of styrofoam. I covered it over with fiberglass. It was an ugly little boat, but it sailed. It had an ugly name. It was called the Sea Snark. <laughs> and I would sail. And I sailed just enough to be in awe of those who take much larger sailboats out onto much larger bodies of water. Sailors need to know about tides and winds and currents and how to work with them. When I sailed, I um, was pretty much at the mercy of the wind and the current. If the wind was blowing that way, that's the way I went. <laughs> Sometimes I would get stuck out in the middle of the lake, unable to come back against the wind, trying to tack but not always succeeding. My secret, I kept a canoe paddle in the bottom of that boat for just such times. And more than once I had to take down the sail and pull up the keel and paddle back against the wind. But good sailors, those who know what they're doing, know how to go out into the wind, into the current and the tide and still get to where they want to go. The prevailing conditions don't have to determine the course for their boats. Well, that's a picture of what happened here in the story of Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. The current of common practice, the wind of popular opinion, even the tide of custom and legality seem to dictate what should happen. Paul should send Onesimus back to take whatever punishment that Philemon wanted to impose. But Paul didn't do that. Because I think Paul himself had been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of Paul's conversion is one of the most dramatic ones in the New Testament. It's told three times in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, prior to Christ, was not just ignorant of or indifferent to Jesus. He was hostile toward him. The risen Messiah was Paul's sworn enemy. And Paul took the lead in hunting down followers of this would-be Messiah who claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
And Paul had devoted his life to try to, to exterminate this blight that was growing among his people. Until one day, Paul met Christ himself and was forever changed. Listen to Paul's testimony in his own words as he writes in his first letter to Timothy. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So when Paul writes to Philemon about Onesimus, he has in mind not just Onesimus's plight, but also his own, Paul's own past, where he himself had come from, and how he, a blaspheming, persecuting, violent man, came to know Christ. And the key words of this testimony, the actions of God in his life, did you catch them in those verses from 1 Timothy? Mercy, grace, faith, love, patience. Those are the things that Jesus showed Paul. And those are the things that he asked Philemon now to show Onesimus. Mercy, grace, faith, love, patience. Those things from Christ had met Paul in his life and had made all the difference. And now he is asking Philemon to be like Christ and give full reign to those things and receive back his runaway slave. And Paul goes so far as to make an extravagant guarantee. Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. The words here are straight from the language of finance and accounting. Paul is writing, sounding more like a CPA than an apostle here. He says, put it on my bill. Charge it to my account. Charge it to me. Here, I'll even sign here. I write this with my own hand. You see, God's grace was not a theological concept for Paul concept that floated out there in the ether or wherever it is that those ideas are. A concept to be talked about but not really connected to daily life. But the grace of God known and experienced by Paul had seeped deep into the pores of his personality and his relationships. Not just a superficial awareness of it, but Paul lived in that grace. He was deeply immersed in it day to day, the grace of God, experienced and exhibited, known in his life, and now shown through his life. 
those who know grace are to show grace. Onesimus himself demonstrates the difference Christ makes as well. He had been named useful. Useful was a common name given to slaves in those days. The implication of that name, Onesimus, useful, to his master was that I certainly hope that this slave lives up to his name, that he is profitable to me, that he is useful to me. But one day, this man named Useful proved to be useless. He escaped. And apparently, he took with him some of his master's possessions, perhaps money, to help him get far away. And he made his way to Europe, to Rome, a thousand miles from Colossae, to Rome, a huge city in which he could melt into the population and be free forever, no longer a slave. But he meets Christ, and the good news continues to work in his life. And he joins Paul as the gospel continues to go out from Paul, even when he is in chains awaiting trial. Just how he helped Paul, we we don't know. But Paul says that he has been of great comfort and usefulness to him and to his work. So much so that I'm sure that more than once, Paul remarked on how Onesimus was now living up to the name that he had been given so long ago. Useful, you see, was finally being useful. And then one day, somehow, Onesimus comes to the realization that he has to go back to Colossae and make good what he had stolen. And so Paul pens this letter. And Onesimus himself sets off to deliver it. Now think of the cost that he had to pay. Think of the risk that he had to take to face the tides and currents of his time and to move against them because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Runaways usually keep running. But Onesimus finds the courage to go back, I believe, because Jesus was telling him to to make things right with the one that he had wronged. So the gospel was at work in Paul's life and Onesimus' life. It also was at work in Philemon's life. The whole experience for Philemon is an opportunity to demonstrate that Christianity works. The new in the case of Philemon includes a new way of viewing Onesimus as one to reach out to in forgiveness and grace as Paul's forgiveness experienced from Jesus Christ emboldened Paul to ask Philemon to forgive so Philemon's experience of forgiveness might lead Philemon to extend forgiveness to Onesimus do you follow that? I should have had a chart up here on the screen for you to follow that You see, that's the way it's supposed to work. The forgiven ones are supposed to extend forgiveness to those around them. Those who know grace are to show grace. 
You no doubt remember that story, that parable that Jesus told about the man who owed another a huge sum of money, millions of dollars, and he was thrown into prison until he could pay debtors prison. And the creditor takes pity on that man and forgives him of this huge debt. And so the man is released from prison and on his way home he encounters another man who owes him what amounted to pocket change. Now get the picture. This man who owed millions of dollars was released from that debt and he encounters a man who owed him pocket change. And he grabs this man by the throat and he demands to be paid and to be paid now. The point of Jesus' story is that's not the way it's supposed to be. I hope you catch that that forgiven debtor is a negative example. That's not how it's supposed to be. Those who know forgiveness should show forgiveness. But Paul is asking for more from Philemon. He asked Philemon to regard Onesimus in a new way. To see Onesimus Now, not as a slave, but as a brother. As I read that text, did you catch how family figures prominently in the letter and in this story? Paul, the old man, a prisoner because of Jesus, calls Philemon his beloved. That's in verse 1. In verse 7, he calls him brother. And he calls Aphia, who presumably was Philemon's wife, sister. And later he says that Philemon owes him his very self. And most think that's a reference to Philemon having come to Christ through Paul's witness. So Philemon is either a brother or a son in the faith to Paul. And then there's Onesimus. Where does he fit into this family picture? Well, Paul says, he's my son. He's like a son to me. My very heart, he says. That's pretty strong language. And what does that make Onesimus? We need another family chart. If Paul and Philemon are brothers and Onesimus is Paul's son, then what is Onesimus to Philemon but at least a nephew? And if Onesimus and Philemon are both sons of Paul in some spiritual sense, then they are brothers of each other. Can you figure that out without a chart? Can you see that family tree? Can you see what Paul is asking Philemon? Receive him back not as a slave but as a brother because he is a son of God through Jesus Christ. He's my son in the faith. He's your nephew. Even more, he's your younger brother. And Paul is willing to see the hand of God in what has happened, even in Onesimus running away. He says in verse 15, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might receive him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me. 
but even dearer to you both as a man and a brother in the Lord. And then Paul adds this in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Welcome Onesimus as a brother and a partner. Can you dig through all of the intervening time and history to see how monumental an ask this is of Paul to Philemon? Welcome Onesimus as a brother and a partner. And then here's the kicker. Of course, to be a partner with Paul, Paul would like Onesimus returned to Rome to take Philemon's place, he says, in helping Paul while he's in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ that had so permeated the life of the apostle, the slave owner, and this runaway slave. I debated with myself whether to make very explicit and specific the applications of this lesson. But then I remembered that you're smart people. Most of you. You know who you are. You can take God's word and by the Holy Spirit through whom the word comes, apply it to your lives. The lessons are clear. We are to forgive as Christ forgives us. In writing to the churches at Colossae, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you know grace, show grace. And then secondly, a second lesson. We are called to move against the current because of Christ. The winds of societal change and cultural adjustment are blowing all over the place these days. The good news is that you don't have to move where the winds are blowing. You, by the power of God, because of the good news in Jesus Christ, can move against the current. You can swim against the tide. You can go upstream. You don't have to go where the tide takes you. Where in your life are you being buffeted by the winds, by the currents, by the tides? Consider the possibility that because of the good news that you have received and internalized and are called to live out, that you can move against them to do in your life the very will of God. Amen.